You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Game week, home game week, with UT Martin coming to Gainesville. And joining me this episode to break uh, down UT Martin and uh, the recent polls that have been released uh, you know, for going into week two is Will Miles. You can find Will Miles at his site at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will. Uh, we got to watch some. Uh, we got to watch some. Uh, some. Uh, some other teams uh, kind of struggle along uh, along the way uh, in this first week of football. Yeah, you know, I wasn't going to pay a whole lot of attention to UT Martin, but they might be about as good as Georgia State, so that might be something that we need to pay attention to. But uh, no, it was, it was an interesting day. I got to tell you, you know, there were a lot of a lot of teams out there that struggled, even the ones that didn't fall. Um, you know, obviously you had Missouri losing to Wyoming, and then you had. Tennessee losing to Georgia State, you know, Florida State losing to Boise State, but, you know, e- even Kentucky struggled a little bit. Um, you know, the game last night with Notre Dame and, uh, and, and Louisville, Notre Dame struggled quite a bit. So um, there hadn't been anybody who's really come out and been crisp day one, I don't think. You know, Michigan struggled a little bit with whoever they were playing. So um, I, I think it's indicative that the reduction in tackling, the reduction in live practices and some of the health and safety mat- things, which are important, I think do have an impact early in the season. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a more uh, a more entertaining first week than I thought going in. So, go going into week one, as you mentioned, uh, Tennessee losing, FSU losing, South Carolina losing. Uh, Will Muschamp, you know, can't get out of his own way. It seems still uh, up in up in Columbia, uh, Missouri losing as well. Uh, Ole Miss struggling in the SEC against Memphis as as well. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was a more entertaining weekend than I thought because you know the the, the bottom half of the SEC uh, didn't necessarily live up uh, you know live up to, to the billing and uh, of course our, our biggest rivals out west uh, just kind of falling apart and uh, not hydrating the right way in the second half. 
Well, it, it wasn't even the it wasn't even that Florida State <laughs> lost. It was how they lost that really, you know, like they just couldn't be stopped in that first quarter, and and it looked like they were going to run rough shot over Boise, and you're like, all right, even if Boise rides the ship, it's going to be tough for them to come back, just because they're so far behind. And then, you know, for some reason, that game took like four and a half hours. <laughs> So I had turned it off after the first quarter. I was watching something else and, you know, doing some stuff with my kids. And I came back, it was like early in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden Boise was right in it. I'm like, what in the world happened? So thankfully we've got a Twitter audience that let me know exactly what happened. And like 90% of the people, when I asked what happened, just replied Taggart. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) a little little, little did we know, a little hydrating. Oh my God. Like at some point the, the, the quotes coming out of Tallahassee after that loss just sound like they're from the onion. He's like, we're going to look at the stuff we did good. Look at the stuff we did bad and eliminate the bad. It's like, really? Like you think that's, what's going to fix this. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to send them my resume, man. Yeah. There we go. Well, I mean, uh, at least you have a 500 record versus uh, opponents. (laughs) <laughs> even if it is zero and zero uh, you know i i think you know it's interesting if he's trying to get fired he's got the perfect blueprint from that in gainesville so just uh just make up some death threats so you're good to go yeah there we go um willie tiger and a shark soon come oh man that that is you know in some respects i feel kind of sorry for him except for that um the florida state fans have been rather vocal on twitter this off season about how much better they were going to be this year. And, and they still may be better. I, I think, yeah, first I, I think they are. Better. Yeah. But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much better you are in the first half. If you just get bulldozed in the second, I mean, what was it like 114 plays or something like that? that they yeah. were, that their defense was on the field. And they, like, didn't have, they didn't have a hundred yards of offense in the second half. Well, I think Akers had like 90 yards of rushing in in the first half and like six or something in the That's second. So, I mean, it was just a disaster all around out there. And, and I mean, obviously it was entertaining for those of us who are Florida fans. But, uh, you know, entertaining Saturday very much all the way around. The only thing that would have made it better is, is if Vanderbilt could have put a better showing up against Georgia. Yeah, Georgia went out pretty fast on that one. I think Clarence coasted, you know, had, knew, knew they had it won and, and wrapped up there. One more thing about the FSU thing and, and the fan base. Yeah, Will, because uh, a, a week before they were watching Florida and Miami kind of play a slugfest, an ugly slugfest, and here they were feeling pretty good about themselves. Uh, saw many tweets out there. Yeah, we're, we're going to take care of both of these teams. And uh, a week later, uh, another team in orange and blue uh, puts it on them. Yeah, well, and they were pretty close to getting out of that too. If they recover that fumble that Boise yeah. State had deep in their territory, um, though, you know, maybe if they'd had the turnover backpack, that extra motivation would have uh, <laughs> would have one of those guys recover the fumble. So <laughs> uh, this is eventually going to get played back at us. <laughs> so yeah, I know, hey, you got it, it, man. Exactly, that's the thing. We don't troll too much on here. That's not really what we do. But uh, when there's a, when there's a chance, we we will take advantage. Well, I just told my brother I was glad we went to Knoxville last year because this year it wouldn't it would have just been sad Knoxville if we'd have got if they were in Knoxville this year and we went to that game. So it was good to get that one off last year. Oh, that's one fan base. I do not feel sorry for either. <laughs> well, was it you who tweeted out that Greg Schiano never would have lost to Georgia State? <laughs> that was me. That was me. And then the smiling picture of Butch Jones in an Alabama jacket. Yeah, that was pretty good. So, hey, we we've I, had that, our, I don't I don't do it uh, I don't do it too much, but hopefully I strike gold when I do. 
I got to say, man, if every Florida bye week is like this, I'm going to have a grand old time this year. <laughs> I had more fun on a Florida bye week than I've had in a really long time. So th- thanks to everybody. Thanks to all those rivals who fell on their face this week. That was great. Yeah, and, and got overconfident because of uh, week one uh, for Florida and, and all the boasting because uh, we got to have a little bit of fun back. So, all right, we'll get into some Gator stuff, the polls that were uh, recently released and um, uh, a little preview of uh, UT Martin. You know, not too much to preview about UT Martin. This game's more about Florida, but you know what we want to see Florida do uh, in, in that game. Before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jack sports team. Also catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Go give us a rating. Go give us a rating on iTunes or leave a review on uh, YouTube. All that stuff uh, really helps us out. So uh, thank you very much there. Follow us on social media, uh, Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook, at Gators Breakdown if you don't already. And also, every week, a News 4 Jacks exclusive, Talking with Troop, former Gators tight end Ben Troop joins me once a week this season on News 4 Jacks and uh, gives his thoughts and uh, on the Gators. And you know Ben brings it every time he's on, really speaks his mind. Uh, has a really good insight on, on what the Gators are doing. So you can catch that every week exclusively on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. So Will on Tuesday, uh, of course, because of Notre Dame and Louisville playing on Monday night, uh, Labor Day night, we get the uh, the second iteration of, of the polls out there, and the Gators will take the field ranked 10th in the Amway Coaches Poll and 11th in the latest AP Top 25 there when they take the field this weekend, this Saturday. You know, Florida dropped slightly in both polls following its 24-20 victory over Miami in Week Zero. Um, the Gators opened the season ranked eighth uh, in both of those polls for a little refresher. So Notre Dame and Texas moved up a spot uh, in each poll to uh, bump Florida to tenth in the Amway Coaches Poll. Meanwhile, in the AP Top 25, the Gators were also jumped by Auburn, uh, the biggest mover in the poll, when uh, following their comeback win over Oregon uh, on, on Saturday. Will so. We knew kind of looking at this poll uh, with the way the narrative was of Florida in the close game versus Miami uh, and, and kind of the negative uh, connotation, negative outlook for Florida after that game, the, the possibility of, of falling in these polls uh, were, were there. As, after watching Notre Dame, uh, I, I still, you know, against the Louisville team that really struggled on the field last year, Louisville came out and kind of, kind of punched Notre Dame in the mouth uh, to, to begin with. Um, still kind of surprised to see Notre Dame maybe jump Florida, uh, you know, but this is, uh, it's much more uh, ado because of, you know, what we heard post Miami the week leading you know, and the week between week zero, week one, all the negative is you know, all the negative info, all the negative sayings, all the negative commentary, uh, on Florida. And this was kind of, before we go into week two, this was kind of just one more stamp kind of just looking at Florida in a negative light. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that it's a reflection that everybody watched Florida and Miami play. Yeah. So even if you were an opposing coach, I mean, these coaches don't really fill out their own ballots, but, <laughs> but, you, but if you were the opposing staff that Saturday, you know, a week ago, you probably had a little bit of free time as opposed to, you know, coaches who were, 
who were preparing for their week two game weren't watching Notre Dame and Louisville last night. And so you didn't see it. It didn't have the, didn't have the same panache and didn't have the same attention. And so it's a double-edged sword, right? If Florida had come out and blown the doors off of Miami, then they probably jump up to fourth or fifth. And, you know, you come out and you, you look a little bit sluggish and you turn the ball over a few times. And, and, and so you drop a couple spots. The, the good news is, is a, I mean, anybody who watched Nebraska earlier in the day, knows that they shouldn't be in the top 25 based on how they pulled it out. So, you know, really this is something where I I suspect the polls are here for marketing at this point, this early in the year. I think there's a good reason why the playoff polls don't come out until later in the year. Uh, Because right now you're just sort of moving around people based on what you see week to week. And that's not necessarily the best way to, to gauge opponents. So, or gauge the quality of a, of a team. So, you know, Hey, Florida dropped a couple of spots. I know people are going to be upset about it, but at the end of the day, you got three teams in front of you that you get to beat. And quite honestly, as long as you don't have any losses, you'd love for them to stay up there in front of you until you come in there and whip them. So, you know, if, if, if Auburn and Florida is, you know, number seven versus number nine in a few weeks, great. If, if Florida LSU is number five against number seven, great. Just keep beating them and keep and keep uh, climbing up those poles. And it's reflective that they're going to have to win those games to get to where they want to get to. Yeah, you know, and, and what gets fans a lot out there, and I absolutely get it. Uh, like I said, Notre Dame didn't necessarily look impressive. Uh, you know, they stayed. You know, they jumped Florida uh, as well. Some other some other quarterbacks out there getting lauded for their play, while Felipe Franks, you know. Played better than a lot of those quarterbacks. Yeah, the costly turnover and a lot of the, that last interception is kind of magnified and, and spotlight just kind of in the game, just kind of like the game itself. And a lot of people remember that. But uh, you know, you uh, and then a lot of people grading these quarterbacks on the curve too, if they're true freshmen or, or making their first starts or you know all that uh, all that like. And you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but uh, I can see a point there. But you know, it, it just you know, you. It does seem, you know, just because of Florida Miami being that sole spotlight game that is being gridded on a curve, a little more critical uh, there. And I get the I get the fan angst there of you know you can go and, and look at how Ian Book played for Notre Dame or Trevor Lawrence uh, kind of struggling against Georgia Tech and some other quarterbacks in the SEC, Jake Bentley, uh, Kelly Bryant, not necessarily living up to the to to you know playing up to a, a standard either, and not necessarily getting shunned like Felipe Franks does uh, there. So, you know, and, and it also raises the question, well, uh, I did see this thrown out there. Is there any, was there any benefit of Florida playing Miami? If Florida had played UT Martin week one and goes out there and, and win 50 to six, as you just said, and as we all know, these polls really mean nothing. So even, even winning 50 to six doesn't mean a whole lot, but you're probably not dropping the polls uh, at all. You know, was the, was the was the twenty four twenty victory over Miami worth it? I say yes because I mean, plainly put, you beat Miami, but a lot of people are saying you know just because you won ugly, you kind of get penalized for it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you need to ask yourself what's your goal, and if your goal is to make the playoff, and I think that's every team's goal coming in, especially a team that starts out the year, you know, ranked in the top ten. If your goal is to make the playoff, then Miami helps you accomplish that goal, mm-hmm. even a narrow twenty four to twenty win. So don't worry about the polls. Don't worry about any of that stuff. You don't have to worry about your perception. If you go 12 and 1 in the if you go 12 and 1 overall and you win the SEC championship game, you're going to be in a playoff. If you go 
11 and one and get left out of the SEC championship game, but are perceived as one of the better teams. Maybe you jump into the playoff because you had Miami and Florida state on your non-conference schedule versus some other conference that has, you know, Georgia state on their, on their, on their schedule as, as a, as a cupcake game. So, you know, I, I am always going to be in favor of scheduling uh, more aggressively. The other thing is, is that Florida made a whole lot more money playing Miami <laughs> than they would have made playing somebody else. And and that makes a difference. I mean, you know, you look, we, we made fun of Florida state earlier, but they're really in a bind if they don't mm-hmm. think Taggart's the guy because they don't really have the funds to get out of the contract that they gave him. And so these sorts of games, you know, the reason Florida was able to, was able to dispatch McIlwain is partially because they played that game in Michigan and, and had the funds to do that. So, um, you know, I think there are multiple benefits to playing Miami. I think the biggest one is, is that if you're going to go out and sell your recruits and sell your program as, Hey, you're going to see large scale national television games on a regular basis. I mean, Florida can sell that now because they've got that set up home and home with Miami coming up, home and home with Colorado, home and home with Texas. You know, teams or players are going to get to play in those big time games. And, yeah, it comes with criticism sometimes if you if you squeak it out. But um, I, I think in the broad scale of things, it, it, the positives far outweigh the negatives. Yeah, I agree there. That's a, that, that's a game. Uh, I think we'll, we'll do more for Florida. We, Florida. Florida knows where they stand uh, more so now than, than they would have if they had played uh, UT Martin week one or, or anything like that. So it is what it is. Uh, I say, you know, embrace it, Gator fans. Uh, as a lot of fans out there have. I mean, I, I think you complain. I think you can complain and embrace it at the same time, Will, if that makes sense. So <laughs> uh, I think uh, a lot of fans, what fans will do that. And uh, as I say, you know, kind of a kind of embrace this role. You know, I've always said Florida's that that lightning rod school. There's never a dull moment. So you know, Florida's going to get looked at in, in in a different light, and kind of always has. But uh, you know, looking forward to uh, you know getting this, getting the season. Uh, and the first home game uh, coming up, and kind of just uh, embrace the way uh, you know the the national media and rivals uh, look at Florida right now, because uh, it could be a, could, could could be a, a um, could be a fun ride that way. Yeah, man. If you win every game twenty four to twenty, you're going to be playing for the title. There we go. Right? Like that, that's really like who cares? Like you know, there are obviously things we want to see against Tennessee Martin, and we don't want it to be twenty four to twenty because that does <laughs> that does say something about the ability of the team to compete with Auburn and LSU and Georgia. But you know, win every game, and, and you got nothing to worry about. And so, a win over Miami is a quality win, and it doesn't really matter where Miami ends up. Though I suspect Miami's probably going to end up in the top twenty five when it's all said and done. And non-conference win over a top 25 team when everybody looks at it and says, wow, they lost the turnover battle. And I, I think the committee is going to look strongly upon that. If Florida can manage to find a way to, to beat Georgia later this year, the Miami game may end up being the tipping point that gets them into a game that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten into. All right, there we go. We'll move on uh, from the from, from the polls there into the uh, first home game of the season, Will. UT Martin comes to Gainesville, comes to the Swamp. Uh, we'll get they the, we'll get the first two bits of the season and, and the first since Mr. Two Bits has passed away. Uh, it'd be fun to see the team come out of that tunnel at home. Absolutely, man. I mean, uh, if you're if you're somebody who lives around the Gainesville area, you only get to do this, you know, seven, eight times a year uh, maximum, depending upon what's going on. And, you know, it, it's a wonderful environment going out there and tailgating. It's great for, great for kids if you've got them. And, and certainly for the students, it's, it's one of the highlights, at least when I was there. And so being able to go to those games and being able to participate and, and being able to cheer on the Gators, regardless of who the opponent is, is always a lot of fun. 
Yeah, you know, you're getting, getting a cupcake a point here, one you should beat. So a, a fun put them put put points up style kind of game here uh, there for the Gators. And of course, you know everything going on with the hurricane this week, and a lot of people kind of having to. To, to stay inside, stay indoors for a couple of days to, to kind of stay safe and, and traffic being a nightmare in some places. It'd, it'd be good to let it loose a little bit. Yeah. Well, knowing how we used to store up on, uh, on provisions when a hurricane was coming back when I was in college, <laughs> there, there should be a pretty lively tailgate out there, even though it's Tennessee Barton. Cause and it's a night game. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody will have had all day to get lubed up. So it, it, it should be good. Obviously the night game is nice just because it means it'll be at least a, It'll be at least a little bit cooler once the kickoff happens. And, uh, and again, national television game and, and the Florida fans get to show that they're going to fill up the swamp based on having a 10 and three season last year, starting out with a win over Miami, you would expect the stands to be reasonably full and everybody to be excited about showing the, the team, the support that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you see Martin uh, talking about this team coming in here, knocked off Northwestern State in a 42 to 20 win in its opener last week, uh, trailed 20 to 14 at the half. Uh, and um, there, so you know, came back, went 42 to 20. It's, uh, you know, well, uh, kind of just your, your, your uh, typical cupcake here. Not necessarily, uh, as I said earlier, this game's uh, definitely more about Florida than the, the, than the opponent coming in here. Yeah, I mean, coming out of the Miami game, I think there are definitely things that we believe they can, they need to fix. Um, most of them have to do with the running game. I mean, they only averaged, I think, 1.8 yards per rush or something the other day against Miami. And so, you know, is that some, is that partially attributable to Miami? Sure. But is that partially attributable to block, to missed assignments and, and poor blocking and, and poor decisions by the running backs and probably by the quarterback as well? Sure. So, you know, those sorts of things you look to get tightened up. Um, one of the interesting things is if you go back and look at the cupcake games last year, so they played Charleston Southern to open up the year and Frank's threw 24 times for 219 yards, had a bunch of touchdowns, but that was really sort of a, um, get him confidence type of game. Once they got to Idaho, they really opened it up and started throwing over the middle. That was something that we had looked at after the South Carolina game and, and noticed that they did in the Idaho game, really throwing down the middle and then brought that out against FSU and Michigan a little bit to end the year. So I do wonder what kind of wrinkle they're going to practice in a real, you know, in a real world environment here and sort of show, I don't know exactly what it'll be, but um, I, su I suspect that there'll be a couple of things they try out that you might be able to see, whether it's having both Malik Davis and Michael P Ryan in the backfield, whether it's a little bit of Jacob Copeland in the backfield, um, you know, not necessarily trick plays, but are they going to try some things that are a little bit, basically things that you wouldn't want to do for the first time in front of Kentucky or Tennessee or LSU? Um, you know, are they going to try a few things? I, I expect to see them to do a few things, sort of add some wrinkles to Mullen's offense. Yeah, we'll get into uh, what we want to see uh, from from the Gators here. Uh, quickly, just kind of uh, looking at UT Martin a little bit uh, and, and what they were able to do last week. Quarterback John Backus, uh, hopefully that's the way you say it there, B-A-C-H-U-S, John Backus. Um, you know, it was 8 of 20, Will. Uh, so uh, for 130 yards, two touchdowns, he also threw an interception. Uh, Northwestern State was able to uh, – uh, to, to, to pass the ball through the air uh, a good bit on UT Martin. Northwestern State had 387 yards passing on UT Martin. Uh, they were UT Martin was defense was better against the run at just 96 yards. So you know we'll get into looking at the team here, Will. But giving up 387 yards uh, to Northwestern State, you would have to think 
uh, definitely something the Gators and the wide receiver core and, and Felipe France could take advantage of. Uh, we're getting kind of a position preview here, but you have to kind of look on the surface. The way, as you mentioned, Florida struggled running the ball against Miami a little bit. Um, Tim Martin only gave up 96 yards uh, last week, but of course it's going to be overmatched here uh, against Florida. It will be good to get this Gators running back core um, and running back depth there in this offensive line. This, you know, still young offensive line into a groove, uh, groove here. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at it, Northwestern State didn't run for that much, but they threw the ball 62 times. So <laughs> actually 63 times because <laughs> Epler, their quarterback, only threw it 62 times. But, you know, Tennessee Martin ran for – so Peyton Logan ran for 149 yards on 13 carries. So certainly that's probably the guy you figure Florida's going to focus in on on the defensive side of the ball, not necessarily back as a quarterback. Eight, like you mentioned, 8 of 20 for 130 yards. So not a huge threat through the air. Um, but, you know, that's a different challenge than what Miami was presenting. Miami obviously uh, was able to run the ball a little bit against Florida, but but really struggled in terms of holding up and pass protection. I'm not necessarily sure that Tennessee Martin's going to worry too much about that. I think they're going to try to run the ball, and it's going to be a, a different type of challenge for the Florida defense. And then you go to the other side, and it's like, I mean, at this point, you've got the better athletes. So there's really no excuse. You need to be able to run the ball. You need to be able to run the ball pretty extensively. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing Florida try to do that. I think I think Mullen and Havasey probably learned some stuff about their offensive line and their tight ends in the uh, in the game against Miami, and I expect them to make a few adjustments in terms of how they decide to run the ball. All right, and we'll take a look at uh, what we kind of expect here from, from uh, we'll kind of go position by position. We can group a lot of these together, Will, before uh, we jump off here. You know, at, at quarterback, of course, uh, what I'm looking for uh, from, from from Felipe Franks is control what he can control uh, in, in this one. Uh, you know, you can't control what people say about you out there, uh, but you can't control how you play. So play some smart football. Uh, you know, control. You know, there's the interceptions. You you can you can get better um, at, at, at at you know, of course, the the with the first interception going back to the Miami game. Franks um, will you know in a way put it on Freddie Swain or or was it a high throw? Uh, you know, we'll question that. But you know, better decision making too. You know, if you can take a sack, take a sack. You know, need to force the ball uh, where it doesn't need to go, even though you're trying to throw it out of bounds. You know, sometimes taking a sack. Uh, is the better route. You know, we've 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 broke we've we've broke down that that play and, and those turnovers uh, ad nauseum here on the podcast. But you know, n- n- now it's just you know control what you can control uh, and play smart. But in the grand scheme of things, will you know for Felipe Franks and of course he was um, you know kind of put down uh, the last two weeks or, or last week and a half so uh, from from the national media out there where we saw it left and right. Uh, because of we mentioned that the spotlight Florida Miami uh, was in, and your latest on, on reading reaction here, uh, there's the the thought out there that Felipe Franks has regressed uh, from last year, and uh, your latest on reading reaction is showing why he has not regressed and uh, is a better quarterback than than, than what we saw uh, last year. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to we need to say a few things up front. Is one, it's one game. Yep. So you never want to make generalizations about somebody off of a one game sample size. But I, I think the turnovers really obscured pretty decent play by Franks. I mean, you know, obviously the throw to Tony is a big chunk of yardage, but that counts. The throw to Hammond was beautiful and he looked off the safety in a way that he didn't a couple of years ago and that and that or last year even. And that was one of the things that I highlighted in the articles. I had a couple of I had one play specifically where Georgia was in cover two and he threw an interception and then against Miami. 
Uh, Miami was in a cover two and he hit the tight end streaking down the middle. And then there was a play against Georgia where Georgia was playing single high safety and Frank sort of threw right into the teeth. And then the throw to Hammond was against the single high safety look. And he did some things to help get that receiver open. So, you know, Frank's is not perfect. I don't think he's ever going to be perfect. I think there are going to be people who are, um, who are critical of him regardless. But when you look at any of the statistics that you use to measure efficiency for a quarterback, so you look at QB rating, you look at yards above replacement, which I like using, anything that doesn't incorporate clutchness or or really turnovers at bad times, um, Frank's grades out really well in the game. I think when you start looking at turnovers, obviously they're important, but people have pointed out QBR um, you know, as one of the, one of the ratings that are being used out there. And one of the flaws with that is that, you know, some guy goes out there and throws four picks in a game where his offense, you know, let's say they run for 500 yards and the offense scores 45 points, but he throws five picks. His QBR ends up better than Frank's in this particular game, just because Frank's turnovers happened when the game was close and those count against him quite a bit. So, you know, Frank's traditionally over his two years, even two years ago in, in 2017, he didn't turn the ball over that much. He was not a turnover machine. And so I don't think you expect four turnovers from the Florida offense on a fairly regular basis. This was more of an anomaly where there were a few things that were his fault. There were a few things that weren't. Um, but obviously when you add it up, it, it made it made it feel like the offense was hip, hiccuping. But, you know, he was, I think he was five of nine on throws, 10 plus yards past the line of scrimmage. They didn't take a whole lot of shots downfield, but when they did, he was accurate. And he threw, he had 63% of his passes completed. His yards above replacement was 1.19. His QB rate rating was 153. So, um, you know, if you'd have told me those numbers before the game, I would have said Florida wins by four touchdowns and the turnovers are what kept it in, kept it in control. So obviously he needs to fix that. You can't just go out there and turn the ball over all the time, but I think his history indicates he won't. And I think the underlying statistics say that, you know, it's not as if the, he's back to 2017 Franks or anything like that. This was not the Georgia game or even the Missouri game where you just looked at it and said, oh, geez, like it's it's time to give Emory a shot or or Trask a shot. Like we're not at that point at all. No. He did some things well. He did some things poorly. But overall, he kind of took – he kind of started out right where he left off at the end of last year. And if you think about how much he improved from game one to game 13 last year, if he's starting at the baseline of game, game 12 or 13 last year and he's going to grow a little bit throughout the season, I think he could be pretty encouraged about how this Florida team is going to play on offense. Yeah, I mean, the hope here is he, he has not hit his ceiling and, and he can continue to grow, like you said, uh, as this season progresses. And um, man, I had a thought and I kind of forgot where I was going to go next with, with that one, with, with, with Franks. But uh, well, it, one, of the thing, one of the things I was going to say is his yards above replacement against top 25 teams in 2017 was minus 4.01, which is like about as bad as you could possibly be. And then you look at last year and against top 25 opponents, it was minus 0.54. So below average against top 25 teams. So do you think that Miami's a top 25 team? That's kind of an important question when it comes to analyzing how he played. I think Miami's going to end up being a top 25 team. I think they might win their division and then get stomped by Clemson in the championship game. But I think they might win their division. And so if you think Miami's a top 25 team, well, Frank's just put up a, a YAR of 1.19. So really like better than Jake Fromm last year for the entire year. Um Again, he's got to fix the turnovers, but I'm encouraged when I look at the underlying stats that say, you know, 9.4 yards per attempt. Well, that's more than more than he had in wins last year. In wins, he only averaged 8.4. So 
um, you know, you, there's really an opportunity here, I think, to look at some of the things and say, I'm encouraged by some of the things he did, obviously discouraged by other things that he did. But at the end of the day, you got away with some of those things in a win against probably a fairly quality opponent. And he's going to have a few games to fix it now before Auburn comes up. Yeah. And uh, I think where I was going to, where I was definitely going to go now, I remember is I think the criticism for Franks, you know, a lot of, a lot of does go back to 2017 and that's his first year when people will, you know, it will say, Oh, he can't make those mistakes in his third season playing. I'm sorry. And I'm not trying to make an excuse for the kid. 2017 didn't happen to me, (laughs) in my opinion, that, that, that experience there was, you know, probably more damaging than it was helpful uh, when, when it's all said and done. I don't think he got a lot of – he didn't – you know, the, the coaching in high school, uh, you know, I don't not to kind of down what he was getting or, you know, downplay what he was getting in high school, but, you know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't getting the coaching that a lot of these other top prospects were getting at the coaching position. And then we know McElwain and Nussmeyer and, and the train wreck that was. So, you know, to me, for, for all intents and purposes, last year was his first year. Definitely, of course, his first year under Mullen. He's still going to learn that offense. He's still learning the nuances, uh, nuances of being a quarterback under Dan Mullen, the things he's looking for. So uh, I do think, you know, sometimes – the judgment on Franks is too much because that 2017 season really gets lumped in uh, when you start talking about him as a quarterback. Sure. I mean, and I think obviously first impressions matter, right? I mean, they, they don't just, <laughs> they don't just go away, but, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what people expect of him other than that. He's going to play hard. Like, mm-hmm. and at no point, at no point did I think he wasn't playing hard. And to me, as long as he's playing hard, I'm happy to have him out there. Um, you know, you look at and, and, and he doesn't get in trouble off the field. Well, that's the thing. I, and I, and I, I went in on Herb Street pretty good and McElroy pretty good in the article as well. Just because, I mean, you know, when Jameis Winston was out, you know, getting suspended for games, people were talking, you know, Herb Street particularly was talking about how, you know, Florida State had other problems than just Jameis Winston. And so basically what he's saying is Winston's a really good player. You just sort of weather the suspension. And all of a sudden, Franks has a game where he turns the ball over a few times, looks a little bit careless. And it's like, oh, he's got maturity issues because he's staring at the camera and 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 saying some things you don't like. Well, I mean, he hasn't get, gotten arrested. He hasn't had any team discipline that we're aware of. Um, you know, nothing from an academic perspective that we're aware of. His teammates seem to really like him. And, and, you know, he's made a few mistakes on the field. Like, I I don't, I don't know, you know, how do you tie those mistakes to some narrative of, of misbehavior? Cause there isn't any misbehavior. And, and I'd point out too, I mean, you look at, you look at Herbert for Oregon, he was 28 to 37, Mm -hmm. 42. So that guy's, that guy's a senior. He's been in there forever. How did he not put his foot on the throat of Auburn and, and, and in that game? So it's just, it's an unfair standard. Franks is always going to be put to the standard of Tebow and Werfel and, and, and some, in some cases, even Grossman and Spurrier. And I don't know that that's necessarily a fair way to analyze him, particularly when you look at the teams that Werfel and Tebow had, had a lot of talent around them. And you look at this one and say frontline talent. Yeah, maybe it's there, but the depth isn't, isn't necessarily there. And certainly from a recruiting perspective compared to Myers teams, the talent isn't the same. So, um, you know, I, I think first game, he made a couple of mistakes, you know, Grossman threw a few interceptions, Werfel threw a few interceptions, even Tebow threw a few interceptions and, you know, I'm not saying he's those guys. I don't think he is yeah. those guys. But at the same time, I, as, I I don't get the vitriol from his own fan base. 
about how he's played. But mm-hmm. certainly I think 2017 has a lot to do with that, and it's sort of tied into he's McIlwain's guy, and the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on the field until he has to play. So, um, you know, I, I suspect that just like last year, Franks is going to play all year, and I think by the end of the year, fans are going to be happy that he did. All right, one more thing uh, that uh, U.S. sent out and kind of some notes there uh, for the UT Martin game, but looking back at what Felipe Franks did versus Miami, uh, his 254 passing yards tied for the third highest total of Felipe Franks' career and was the first quarterback since Wisconsin's Alex Hornibrook, who threw for 258 yards in 2017 versus Miami, uh, to throw for 250 yards against Miami's defense. So the first quarterback since 2017 uh, at bowl game there. Uh, so no quarterback uh, last year uh, threw for uh, 250 yards against Miami's defense. Uh, and Franks was also the first quarterback since Horny Brook, uh, the same game in uh, 2017, the bowl game there, to attempt at least 25 passes and finish with a completion percentage of 60-plus percent uh, versus this Miami defense. So, Will, we knew going into that game how, you know, the, the, athlete, the athletes and, and Miami's defense and what they could bring to the table. And, you know, Felipe Franks, uh, you, have, you, you have to go back almost to a, a complete season. Uh, you, you can't even go – even as bad as Miami was last year, they, they still shut some, shut some opposing offenses down. And, you know, I think uh, as we kind of have said over and over again, minus the turnovers, Felipe Franks – and don't get me wrong, they count. And you can say this for a lot of quarterbacks, of course, but minus the turnovers – uh, he put up one of the best performances uh, against my, my Miami in quite some time. Well, he also had no running game. Yeah, and, and so I think we need to keep that in 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 the front of our minds as well. Is that you know last year when Franks would make mistakes, they were still running for 200 yards. This year he was making mistakes, and the windows are tighter when you can't run the ball. And and in this case, you know the tipped ball to Swain. I think that's a mistake by Franks. I mean, that ball has to be thrown better, but um, you know, the only, the only turnover that's really unconscionable was the interception at the end. Yeah. And unfortunately the interception at the end is the one that sticks in your mind <laughs> when you're thinking about the overall game, right? Like if he'd have thrown that interception in the, in the second quarter, and then he'd thrown the one over the middle that was tipped. You'd look at that and go, oh, God, if he'd have just brought it down a little bit, Florida's got a first down and and maybe even more. And, and you know, I see the logic in that play, and the play was at least executed well. It was just the throw was a little bit high. The problem is is that the 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 interception at the end looked terrible. Um, you know, you, you thought they were going to come out and run the ball, and they didn't. Like, so there were just a lot of different things that went that went wrong there, and that's what sticks in your mind. So, you know, Franks is going to have to come out and erase that from people's minds, and certainly UT Martin should help that, I would imagine. But um, end of the day, this game isn't going to be a referendum on Felipe Franks. That, that referendum yeah. is going to come against Auburn, against LSU, maybe not against South Carolina anymore, but then against, uh, against <laughs> Georgia. And, and, you know, by the time we get through those four games, we'll know what we think of him. I just think – you, you, you never want to gauge somebody's performance on one game at all. Um, and the biggest thing that we can ask for from Franks is to be consistent. And I think in terms of his ability to read defenses, he is getting better. I think from the turnover perspective, you want him to be, I guess, inconsistent at this point and stop yeah. <laughs> the first time. But, you know, again, if he had been a turnover machine – throughout his career i'd say okay this is the same old guy he turns the ball over a lot that just hasn't been the case i mean he threw a bad a bad interception against uh against georgia last year had a bad fumble down by the goal line other than that i don't really recall backbreaking turnovers from him um and and i expect that that's that's probably how things will progress this year as well 
All right, we'll continue here looking at the quarterback position before uh, we move on to some other positions here. Uh, when I play, when I say play smart football, that goes for Felipe Franks and will the other quarterbacks too. Uh, Kyle Trask and Embry Jones, I expect, will play uh, some of this game. Uh, maybe complete second half. Maybe one gets a quarter each. Uh, I expect Florida to be pretty, you know, be up pretty comfortable uh, in this game when halftime rolls around. So it will be good. Uh, I, I think I'm pretty sure we'll see Emory Jones. Uh, I don't know about Kyle Trask. We'll see what, how the depth chart works out there. There is an or uh, of Kyle Trask or Emory Jones as far as the depth chart goes uh, that Florida releases. But I, I expect we'll see both uh, both quarterbacks there and 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 see uh, them, them them you know that duo there play play good as well and play smart. Yeah, boy, how how times have changed that we expect the blowout and, and expect to be able to see the backup quarterbacks in these games, as opposed to having to win this like twenty-four to sixteen, like we did with Muschamp or McElwain. So, um, yeah, I, I think we'll see Emery. I think he's the future of the position. You got to think, and and if Trask is beating him out, I think that says something about Emery, and probably um, I, I that actually would be something that would probably worry me a little bit if I'm a Florida fan, just for, for next year, if, especially if Franks decides to move on to the NFL, um, you know, that you really want Emory to be able to step in. And so he's going to have to get some experience um, in in this game. And I expect that to happen. I, I actually expected there to be a couple of Emory packages in the Miami game and maybe Mm -hmm. with the turnovers, they didn't have an opportunity to bring that out, but um, I expect that they'll at least have some packages for him in this game. And we'll get to see what he can do in a, uh, in, in, more action because obviously last year he got four games in but uh but this year they don't have to worry about about saving him for games later in the year and so yeah i think we'll see quite a bit of him this on this weekend yeah before we move forward you just mentioned the four games here and as we look at these uh, positions here i think that's very important to to remember uh, is that four game red shirt rule because i think you know in games like this this is where you're going to see uh, some freshmen, you know, kind of make their make make their appearance because Florida doesn't have three cupcakes this year. They only have uh, only have two. Would play Miami at a conference, so I think you'll definitely see some of these uh, true freshmen making um, you know, kind of making appearance uh, in this game. So we'll go to running back. Will what I want to see here is play smart here too. Uh, you know, P Ryan and, and 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 the Franks mesh fumble. Uh, they're about to score versus Miami. The Malik Davis fumbled pitch as well. Um. And also, I want to see you hit some big runs uh, as well. I want to see some some big runs from these running backs. We we know that the potential uh, there is to is to hit some. So I don't think we'll see a whole lot of Michael P. Ryan. Uh, this game you'll see go back to kind of the springtime. Florida knew what they had in Michael P. Ryan. They let him rest uh, a good bit, not take any unnecessary hits. And I think uh, this will be the same formula with, with these easier these uh, cupcake games too this year. Michael P. Ryan, you won't see a lot of, but you'll see Malik. Davis, you'll see Damian Pierce and Iverson commit Naquan Wright, uh, I think, making an appearance in this game as well. Yeah, well, this is also, I think I mentioned earlier, one of the ways maybe you see Jacob Copeland get the ball in the backfield. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to throw some wrinkles out there to make people prepare for stuff that's on tape. Um, you know, that you don't necessarily want to run later in the year, but, you know, you want people to know that you've got it. So so maybe that's something that we see a little bit too. But sure, Clement and, and Wright and Pierce and, and Davis. I mean, I think Davis more than anybody yeah. is probably the guy I'm looking at. He didn't look like he had a whole lot of rhythm against Miami. He looked a little bit tentative. Um, you know, obviously the fumble sort of, sort of puts you in that, in that, uh, in that frame of mind. But, 
you know, you wonder whether he was a little bit tentative coming off of his injury last year and whether you can get him going in this game. So that's probably the one guy I'm looking for because if Florida can, can get Malik Davis to be a really, really solid backup or an explosive option behind P. Ryan, that really helps them moving forward. Yeah, let's go, move it to the offensive line. Well, this is one group. I, I just really want to see how they line up and, and, and how much they play together. Of course, you know, just kind of talking about what they need to do, get more push and, and continue to show promise and, and, and pass blocking. But you know, there, there's not a lot of game reps experience with the starting five together. So how valuable is that, even though it's an overmatched opponent? How does this staff, how does Hevesy and, and Mullen value the starting five guys getting reps together and uh, I think they they need as many reps as they can get together but you also need these guys to stay healthy so this also could be a time where you see some young offensive linemen uh, you know a lot of true freshmen linemen uh, Florida has or, or or second year but didn't play you know redshirt offensive linemen Florida has but uh, just in case those guys are needed just because of how thin Florida is an experience that these guys will may be needed at some point this season so Richard Garage Ethan White Michael Tarquin Kingsley Aguaken TJ Moore I think we'll, we'll see those guys rotated, maybe even early on uh, as well. I think you get that, – that's one thing. I, I don't know how they'll do this. I, I think you get your starting five a good bit of reps, but I think you start mixing and matching a little bit just because at some point this season – yes, Florida State really healthy on the offensive line last season, but at some point this season, you're going to need you know the, the names I just you – know, Garage, White, Tarquin, Aguaken, Moore to probably step in at some point this season. Yeah, well, this is one of those games where you can pull somebody when they miss an assignment, right? Yeah. Against Miami, maybe you get Franks killed if you if you pull somebody <laughs> assignment. Against Tennessee Martin, you should be able to yank somebody out and still have confidence that your second-team guy is going to protect your quarterback. I, I think the good news for Florida is they got away with substandard offensive line play or substandard blocking, at least in the running game. The passing block, pass blocking wasn't terrible, but the they got away with substandard blocking for in the run game against Miami in a way that they weren't able to get away with against Kentucky last year. And, you know, they put the game on Frank's back, and then Frank's just got drilled throughout that game against Kentucky. And they were able to keep him pretty upright against Miami, which I think is a good sign for, for the offensive line moving forward. I, I, yeah, I expect the second team to get an awful, lot of, an awful lot of play here. I think the biggest thing you want to come out of here with on the offensive line is health. Um, you know, are you really going to be able to – are you really going to be able to build a whole lot of cohesion that you haven't been able to build before the Miami game? Maybe, um, maybe you want to see those guys go out there and show you a few specific things, but mm -hmm. beyond executing and saying, Hey, we're physically dominant. Let's go out and execute, hit the right blocks, have the right assignments, hit combo blocks and get to the linebackers, those sorts of things. I mean, you know, once you start doing that, then it's like, okay, get the, get the second team in there and uh, get the second team quarterback in there. And, 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 uh, you know, move the ball with those guys because obviously you're going to need to know what they have. And at some point, somebody's going to get an ankle rolled up on or, or you know, whatever. There's going to be some sort of injury. You're going to need somebody to step in. And these are this is a good time to figure out what you've got and, and who you're going to put in that spot. In that spot. Yeah, and we'll extend that thought to the tight ends, Will, in, in your recent article as well, uh, detailing the offense and Felipe Franks. You also detailed uh, some some places that the, the, the tight ends really struggled in, in run blocking, missing some assignments there. Uh, Florida has a lot of guys that can play at that position. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a group, I guess you could say they struggled blocking too. But, uh, and. You know, they got to get better there, not to necessarily give away certain plays. Uh, yeah, we know Kyle Pitts can maybe split out wide some and play some receiver uh, as well, but you know, to kind of keep the same personnel and, and on 
on the field and not give away plays. You need to be able to slide him toward the line of scrimmage as well and, and hit some blocks. So he hit, he had a nice pass block there on a deep downfield uh, pass uh, from um, from Franks to Hammond. Uh, but, you know, we've got to see, especially in the run blocking where they need some help, these tight ends have got to step up. Yeah, I mean, I showed plays for the tight ends, but you could have picked plays for the, for the offensive linemen missing things as yeah. well. I mean, it, it was a team effort to only run for 50 yards against Miami, believe me. And and like I said, I thought the pass blocking was actually pretty decent for the game. So I think there are some things you can build on there, and specifically the tight ends being able to hold up in the pass blocking as well. But yeah, I mean, you want to see your tight ends be more physical at the point of attack. Seante Lewis did a really good job of that last year, but obviously he wasn't the threat in the passing game that Pitts is. So you know, you're giving up a little something when you when Lewis graduates, but you're gaining something with Pitts coming in there and his ability to catch. So I, I think at the end of the day, what you want to see is growth from game one to game 13. So if you're really looking at the run game, um, you're not going to be able to tell. It's not the same team <laughs> as, playing, as playing against Miami. But I think you can tell whether the um, – whether the effort is there, whether guys are getting blown back into the backfield, um, you know, those sorts of things. And and you should be able to tell that pretty early on. Um, but again, I, I think in this case, you've got a team that's physically overmatched and and should, like, the, the, everybody should look better just because of who they're playing. And wide receivers, as far as that group goes, we know what Florida has, six, seven deep, but with the starters, this is all about getting younger players involved here for me because the guys that would need to be counted on Next year, in your Jacob Copeland, in your Rick Wells, maybe even freshman, you know, Trent Riddlemore, uh, Demarcus Weston, Deontay Marks, uh, that those guys that they're available to play, uh, you know, get their feet wet, you know, still have some games to play, um, you know, of course, with the, the save their red shirt, but, uh, you know, especially, especially Copeland and Wells, those are two guys that you will be heavily in the rotation next year, maybe even the top. You know, two or three guys, according to who, if anybody comes back there for some guys that are eligible. But uh, Copeland and Wells are two guys I'll be really keeping an eye out for uh, in a game that you know you can get them some play in time. Yeah, it's interesting in the second game of the year to be talking about preparing for next year, but but certainly that's that's the job of the coach to make sure that he's getting people playing time and that he's keeping them happy because the last thing you'd want is for Copeland or someone like him to decide, you know what, I, there are greener pastures someplace else. They didn't give me the playing time that, that I wanted in games where I could have gotten it. So keeping all the guys happy, that was something we talked about during the preview was just sort of keep it, you know, previewing the season was keeping everybody happy is going to be something that's a challenge for Mullen, and, and this is an opportunity to do that. That. I, I think the other place maybe that you think about the t- think about the wide receivers is on special teams. Um, it's an opportunity to give these guys an opportunity to shine on special teams and maybe get an opportunity to work their way into the rotation by doing things on that side of the ball. Um, and then if you decide, you know what, we'd like to we'd like to keep the red shirt, that's fine. Um, but really, that's where young guys are going to be able to make a mark. So guys like guys like Weston and 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 that. You know, and that ilk, those guys who are maybe younger that we haven't necessarily thought of as being immediate impact guys. One of the places they can make immediate impact is on special teams. And, you know, instead of having somebody like Swain back there catching punts, if you've got somebody else who can go back there and do that in this game and show that he's capable to do that, you know, maybe at some point an injury comes up and the opportunity arises for for that player to to step up when it's time on special teams. No, I moved to the other side of the ball and uh, defensive line kind of buck position for me. Continue to play well, uh, especially at end uh, defensive tackle. Uh, hopefully, TJ Slayton's back and he can get the reps uh, the week before the Kentucky game. Um, the one freshman I, I expect to see here, and I'm excited to see, is Mamoudi Abate. Uh, came in spring, really mature player. 
uh, for for a young guy. Ready to, I'm ready to see what he can do, and also throwing Chris Bogle into that category as well. He was a uh, you know, guy who was a late uh, late arrival, not necessarily late, but uh, a summer arrival uh, there, I should say, and. It come in and kind of impress the, the staff right away as well. So Diabate, Bogle, and some young players there, I'm I'm excited to see what they, they could bring to the table too because, Will, as much as guys want to play, this is also about making sure you got you, you come out of a game like this healthy. So while we know we, and we, we like what Florida has at you know, defensive end, rushing position, this is a really good chance for Diabate and Bogle and some young, young and some other, other young players uh, to, to go in there and get some reps. Sure. And some of the other guys like Carter and Chatfield, yeah. guys you might be looking at as well. Um, yes, this is when they get into the teeth of the SEC schedule, when that Georgia game comes up, they will not have been able to have the same four guys on the defensive line or same three guys plus the buck on the defensive line for the four game stretch that they'll be coming off of. I mean, at some point, somebody's going to have an injury or just going to be just going to need a blow in the Georgia game. And you can't have a huge drop off when it comes to that point. So, you know, one of the things that we need to start seeing is it can't just be Zaniga and Grenard who are getting pressure. And then and that's not what we saw in the first game. I mean, the pressure was coming from all over the place. But when it comes to the defensive line, they're, you know, Kyrie Campbell and and um, TJ Slayton and and Carter and, and Chatfield, and those guys, they're all going to have to start bringing pressure as well because they're going to need to have a rotation in those games when it comes to SEC play. And this is an opportunity to see who can step up against a lesser opponent. But if you can step up against Tennessee Martin, then you get the opportunity to step up against Kentucky and Tennessee and, and as you get into the SEC schedule. Absolutely. Moving back to linebacker, Mari Bernie, uh, Miller, Vitro Miller, James Houston. I expect those guys to get a lot of reps here. We know Dave, well, we know what David Reese can do. Uh, there's no need for him to play a whole play a whole lot this game. But Murray, uh, Bernie, as long you know him figuring out uh, the linebacker position, uh, everything. Miller and Houston just need more game reps as well. Do we see Tyron Hopper in the game uh, make make an appearance there? You know, starting with this group, you can also mention fixing tackling, Will, <laughs> and, and, and you know working on that, and hopefully an improvement from what we saw. Uh, uh, you know, in the Miami game, uh, but we'll get to the secondary in a minute and the issue of tackling there. But it really does start with that linebacker core uh, and, and that second level uh, of a group that needs to show they can tackle better as well. Absolutely, though we saw that across college football this past week as well, that there were teams that had trouble tackling. Um, you know, none of our DBs like absolutely pancaked any of our linebackers going after a run like Tennessee did. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think we'll. I, like again, you you come out of the game against Miami saying there are things to fix, but there are. But at least we got out of it with a win. And I think the tackling is maybe the space on the defense where you look at it and say, yeah, that's absolutely a place where where Florida needs to needs to emphasize things, and I'm sure that they will. And I'm sure a lot of those things are going to get cleaned up as well. Um, we mentioned um, we mentioned earlier, I guess at the la the last show I was on, where guys were basically in the right gap, mm -hmm. they just weren't wrapping up and bringing the guy to the ground. So I think that'll be an area of emphasis, particularly for guys who haven't played linebacker at Florida quite a bit. I mean, you don't worry about that with David Reese, but you know Ventrell Miller and Amari Bernie and some of those other guys who are going to be in there at linebacker. Those guys don't necessarily have a history of being good tacklers, and so you don't know whether they're a good tackler until they show it. And this is their opportunity to do that. All right, then. As I said, we can definitely talk about tackling with with the cornerbacks as well. It would be nice to see Wilson and Henderson be a little more physical uh, in this game, but they're not really going to be needed uh, for, for this game. So get them off the field. I really want to see Kyrie Elam, Chester Kimbrough, Jadon Hill in this game. 
Uh, this game will be well out of hand early on, and, and Wilson and Henderson will need to be limited. Uh, plus, each freshman needs some game reps. Uh, there will be at times this year they'll probably be counted on. And also, soon you have some better assignment football from Trey Dean. Uh, he was out of place too much in, in the Miami game. So things I'm looking for there is uh, getting these true freshmen uh, on the field because you know, the luxury – for being able to play these guys in this game is I think uh, you know, there'll be, it is a luxury for now, but there will be a point this season. I think you'll need Elam Kimbrough Hill uh, to, to, to step in for a few plays or even more, if, uh, you know, forbid an injury happens, but th- there'll be some point this year where I think uh, you'll, you'll need those guys uh, there. So you really throw them into the fire here, uh, fire here as I don't think the opponent will be able to bring too much, but I think they can get a lot of snaps and, and a lot of game time here. Yeah, well, I mean, this is where you really can't afford an injury to the starters if you're Florida. Mm-hmm. Those guys are going to have to carry you through the entire year unless the freshmen step up. So not only is this an opportunity to see what you've got with those freshmen, but it's an opportunity to avoid having the injury on the backside in a game that, you know, for all intents and purposes, Florida should win going away and going away pretty easily. So, um you know, I suspect, like you said, that they're going to get they're going to get Marco and CJ out of there pretty early, and and give give some of those younger guys a shot. And it'll be interesting to see what they have. But again, more so just to make sure you don't get somebody who's rolled up on. But this is where the this is where the poor tackling and and that sort of stuff really starts to come into play because you know you, you can't get better at it without actually doing it live. Mm-hmm. And so this is an opportunity to do it live. But every time you every time you play a game, there's an injury opportunity that's there. And you know, so that's something that Mullen really is going to have to manage with his defensive backs because you know if you've got if you've got guys out there who are dinged you got to make sure that they use the bye week and then this week as an opportunity to get healthy and i think maybe that's one of the things that that's a positive coming off of the week zero game is that you have a week to recover before you then go play tennessee martin so everybody coming in should be pretty fresh shouldn't have you know nagging injuries and those sorts of things and so um you know i I think from that standpoint we should see a better tackling performance yeah, Mullen did mention uh, the uh, when going back in at the press conference after the Miami game, you know, saying how they they did take it a little, you know, take it, you know, more, you know, not as not as physical in, in fall camp because he didn't want to to, to get injured. It, it, so the, some of the physicality wasn't there as far as tackling goes. Uh, so you know, this is another game situation uh, where you can kind of fix that. Uh, of course, safety uh, another place that needs to improve in the tackling department. No idea the status of Brad Stewart. I wouldn't necessarily expect him to play until we actually see it. Uh, but Sean Davis needs uh, improved. He need he, he needs and proved he needs more playing time. Uh, for, from from the Miami game, Steiner and Taylor need to improve their tackling in pursuit. Uh, perhaps we see more Quincy Linton. Quincy Linton here. Uh, Will I, this is something I'm really looking for. Maybe some, maybe even some experimentation. Uh, this game back there at safety with either Dean or Bernie back there to help out in certain situations comes you know at, at some point in the season. Yeah, that may that may be something that they do, especially depending upon the strength of the freshman that you mentioned earlier at corner, right? That if you can bring somebody like Kimbrough in and have him play the star, then you can then you can move Dean someplace where he's playing more of a hybrid safety role, mm-hmm. and and that's sort of how he was recruited anyway. So, sure, those things exist, and and you know one of the things that Mullen and Grantham have talked about is having versatility. Um, you know, I do think that we need to look and say, okay, other than the missed tackles, were there any really giant plays for? for Miami that the safeties gave up. There was the one to the, to the tight end for the mm-hmm. touchdown at the end of the half that I can remember where the safety was out of position and then missed the tackle. But beyond that, you know, the, the big explosive plays for Miami were just 
everybody was in the right position and didn't bring somebody down and whew, there he went. So, you know, that, that again, I think indicates that, um, you know, the, the physicality of the spring practice that, or the fall practice that you mentioned that Mullen was talking about, I, I suspect that they ramped that up in the off week and, and made sure that everybody understood that that's not acceptable. And, and I think the safety play will be better just because of that. I mean, you know, these guys are not, are not Sean Taylor back there, but they're also not, not chop liver. And I think they'll do a pretty decent job. Um, now that they've got a game under their belt. All right. That's what we're looking for as the Gators take on UT Martin as they travel to the swamp um, for game two of the, of the season here. Will, before we go, I think we have to talk about that. A pretty big commit for the 2021 class. Then Clinton Burton jr. Um, you know, uh, Holly, Holly rated player here for the 2021 class rated at 94.66 on the 24 seven sports composite, the 137th ranked player uh, on the composite uh, as well comes from St. Francis Academy up in Baltimore, Maryland, as I said, class of 2021 had offers from all the big schools, uh, Alabama and Clemson were very interested uh, in getting his services as well. And 24 seven sports has a little evaluation uh, of him here. Good frame with ability to play at 190 pounds, instinctual, tough, fearless, excellent stop-start ability, plus acceleration and drives well on balls thrown in front, physical at jam and in tackling, big play possibility, speed to cover across field, quick and short space, smart and composed, willing to set edge and influence run game, has to continue work on backpedal and transition into turning and running with receiver, increasing upper body strength important, a multi-year starter at a top 15 program, could develop into a mid-round NFL selection. So we'll kind of going going around and and uh, what he says. Of course, he's from the, the Maryland, the DMV area up there. Some big-time prospects Florida has had in that area: Percy Harvin, Joe Hayden, uh, and Torian Gray. Um, it, since his return to Florida, has been a pretty instrumental in recruiting so far and going and getting a big time at a big time cornerback athlete here uh, for the Gators for 2021. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can bring in a guy who's 137th ranked overall nationally, it's a big deal. I think holistically you look at where Florida is for the 2021 class and it's pretty encouraging. So the first part is they're number one in the sec. Now they only have five, five commits right now, but Mm -hmm. again, you look at that early on and say, okay, you're number one in the sec with the commits that you have. Um, and so, you know, 91.82 is their overall ranking for those five guys. That's significantly better than where they are right now for the 2020 class, where they're at 90.08. So, um, you know, there has been no doubt that Mullen is upgrading the talent at Florida. Question is always, is he upgrading the talent to the point where he's going to be able to compete with Georgia and, and Alabama? We're going to see. But certainly they needed a a defensive back after, um, you know, Chris Steele going back to USC after this year and, and some of the defections that they may have in the not too distant future. I mean, you know, if, if Trey Dean and CJ Henderson and Marco Wilson play the way we expect them to play, those guys are not going to be at Florida for four years. And so you're going to have to restock the cupboards. And, and this is part of that. All right. Yeah. Good start to the uh, 2021 class there and a uh, big time commitment there and Clint Burton jr. From, St. Francis. So, yep. Well, good episode, man. Uh, and hey, there's some good games uh, Saturday uh, as well for uh, um, as you know Texas and LSU, and uh, also Clemson and Texas A&M. So, kind of a statement Saturday for some big time SEC programs. 
Absolutely. We got the fighting Burroughs out there for LSU and we'll <laughs> see whether the, the success he had earlier in the week was, uh, was because they were playing a cupcake or whether he sort of carried that over and, uh, and same thing with AM. I mean, I think one of the offensive linemen for AM guaranteed a victory over yeah. Clemson, and Jimbo wasn't too happy about that. So <laughs> I think his quote was, he better play well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it should be exciting Saturday. I mean, you know, once you get past that first week, I mean, I think that's one of the things that was so cool about this past week is usually that first week of college football sort of ho hum. You know, Ohio State's up by 60 at the end of the first quarter, and, you know, you got maybe one marquee game and then the rest is just sort of cupcakes galore. And the cupcakes kind of struck back a little bit this week, particularly against the SEC, made it much more interesting. And now we're heading into the into the teeth of the schedule for some of these guys. And, and it's about to get interesting. Yep. So a quick rundown of what the rivals and uh, the SEC is doing here. We have West Virginia, Missouri. So it'll be interesting to see if Missouri can bounce back versus Big 12 West Virginia. Uh, that game's at noon. Also at noon, Charleston Southern and South Carolina breaking in a new quarterback, Ryan Helensky taking over uh, for Bentley there in, in his injury. Also at noon, Vanderbilt and Purdue on the Big Ten Network. So see if Vanderbilt can bounce back from that Georgia loss. 3.30, Texas A&M and Clemson on ABC. 3.30, Southern Miss and Mississippi State, ESPNU. 4 o'clock, New Mexico State, Alabama, SEC Network. 4 o'clock, Murray State and Georgia, ESPN2. 7 o'clock, BYU in Tennessee. Will, man, can Tennessee start 0-2? Who do they got coming up after BYU? Like, that, that could I'm, be a – I'm pretty sure it's a cupcake after that, but I'm not sure. Well, I mean, Fulmer was out there on the field apparently today. Yeah. Look at look at it practice, and I'm like, oh, this is getting juicy. <laughs> this is, this is going to get real interesting real fast. Because, you know, I mean, as, as much uh, as much as we make fun of that fan base, they – that's a proud program. Yeah. So yeah. To, to lose to Georgia State, I mean, you know, we used to make fun of you can't spell citrus without UT, but they'd kill for the Citrus Bowl right now yeah. after that first game. So, um, you know, it, it, the SEC is good, is better when Tennessee is at least good. Um, I, I don't necessarily, I obviously never wanted to be better than Florida, but, um, you know, people are asking this year whether Florida Tennessee is even a rivalry anymore. Yeah. And, and at that point, you know, okay. <laughs> we've we've beaten the dog hard enough <laughs> like at this yeah. point let's let's let them get up and maybe beat georgia every once in a while but uh <laughs> you know it's funny because the butch jones era we made fun of him and and you know obviously tennessee fans didn't like him by the end but you know you do wonder if that's what in this era of college football if that's sort of what what tennessee's going to be able to squeeze out when you've got saban and kirby and all those guys sort of pulling from those fertile recruiting grounds where they used to go get guys they can't really do that anymore so um yeah, man. Zero and two after a game against BYU. It, it will be an interesting dynamic. We'll have to definitely check out Clay Travis on Twitter and see uh, <laughs> see what his reaction is. Because after the Georgia State game, it was pretty good. Oh, I gotta go back and look at that. Even think about him uh, with, with that. All right, quickly we're in down the rest. LSU in Texas, uh, seven thirty game on ABC. Seven thirty as well. Tulane and Auburn on ESPN two. 7.30, UT Martin and Florida, of course, on ESPNU. Uh, 7.30 as well, Eastern Michigan and Kentucky. And also at 7.30, Arkansas and Ole Miss. SEC Network, Florida State will play Louisiana Monroe at 5 o'clock. And I believe Miami and North Carolina this weekend. So another uh, Miami could start 0-2 uh, as well with a, with a conference foe uh, and, and, uh, and uh, Mike Brown. 
Well, you know, we hope not. We want Miami to be yes. good by the end of the year. So yeah. um, I, I suspect Miami's better than most people think. I, I, I think they'll probably take care of business against North Carolina. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. So, All right, there we go, Will. A little SEC rival slate rundown before we go here. And uh, in, well, what's coming up on uh, Read and Reaction? And uh, I guess, uh, are you doing the uh, the uh, fourth quarter thing, too? Yeah, we're going to do it. Mike Pfeffer and I are going to do the yeah. own the fourth quarter again for the, for the Tennessee-Martin game. It was actually a lot of fun to sort of <laughs> react as the game was going on when I went back and re-listened to it. It, it was interesting. So we're going to post that on SoundCloud if people are interested in, in uh, taking a listen to see what's going on. And then certainly uh, – What's it called again, Will? I think it's called here. Own the Fourth Quarter. So we're basically what we're doing is we're watching the fourth quarter live and reacting with the fans. So the fans have the opportunity to call in and, uh, you know, either comment in the chat or we'll even uh, we'll even put you on live and let you talk a little bit too. So, um, you know, check out – if you just subscribe to, to Read and Reaction, you'll, be able, you'll get emails that give you updates on it. And, uh, you know, certainly we'll, we'll probably be flipping between the Tennessee Martin game and the LSU game. But, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but if nothing else, we can, uh, we can talk about what the Florida game means in the big – in the grand scheme of things and sort of where things are going. But it was really fun during the Miami game because you're sitting there in the fourth quarter and it was sort of nerve-wracking and everybody's freaking out and all those fumbles at the end and, you know, sort of got to hear Mike and I react to that and then also the uh, – the fan, uh, <laughs> the fan discussions in the background on the chat were entertaining too. So it's a good time, and hopefully people enjoy it. So um, check it out if you get an opportunity. Like I said, just subscribe on the website, and uh, you'll get the information. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. That's that readandreaction.com. You can catch Will's articles there as well. Uh, we'll have a, a game review up Sunday, Monday. Uh, we're kind of around that time there as well. You can catch him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SDC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.